0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is The Stacks Book Club Day. Today, we welcome back Shanita Hubbard, professor and author of the book Ride or Die, A Feminist Manifesto for the Well Being of Black Women. She's here to join me in discussing Roxane Gay's seminal essay collection, Bad Feminist. Bad Feminist was released to much acclaim in 2014. Its sharp, hilarious commentary and insight has held its place in feminist culture ever since. Today, Shanita and I discuss how the book has aged and the ways conversations on gender, race, and pop culture have evolved since its publication. We also talk about Roxane Gay as a writer and a public persona. There are no spoilers in today's episode. Make sure you listen through to the end of the episode to find out what our April book club pick will be. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of the show can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love The Stacks and want more of it, like our incredible community on Discord, our bonus episodes, our monthly meetups to discuss our book club picks, and more, you must join The Stacks Pack on Patreon. It's just $5 a month, and you get all of that. Plus, you get to know that you're part of making this Black woman-run independent podcast a reality every single week. The truth is, I could not make this show without The Stacks Pack. So if you want to support The Stacks, head to patreon.com slash Stacks and join now. Shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Resist Booksellers, Renee Agatsuma, Darian Letta, and Rachel Burns. Thank you all so much, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Shanita Hubbard about Roxane Gay's essay collection, Bad Feminist. All right, everybody. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. It is our March book club pick, Bad Feminist Essays by Roxane Gay. And we are joined again by the wonderful Shanita Hubbard, whose book is Ride or Die. Shanita, welcome back. Hi. Good to be back. I'm so excited you're here to talk about this book. Um, For folks who are listening, let me just give you a quick sort of rundown about the book, and then Shanita and I will dive in. So Bad Feminist is a collection of essays from Roxane Gay. It was written in 2014. The essays are mostly cultural criticism with a bent towards feminism, or I should say with a bent towards Roxane Gay's experiences as a woman and as a Black woman. Um, But it's a lot of cultural criticism, I would say, overall. That's sort of the gist. We'll start where we always start, which is generally, what did you think of the book?
1: Okay, so I read it twice, right? I read it when it first came out. Um, and then and that was long before I was an author, right? And then I read it again recently, actually the audiobook. I listened to the audiobook recently to brush up for the podcast and I'm, for our conversation. And of course, I knew there were like tons of things that I would be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But it shocked me because I'm like, it feels like such a different book to me now at this stage in okay. my life as an author who intentionally centers the most marginalized amongst us in our book. Like I'm intentional about centering Black women, and I'm also intentionally about intentional about centering queer Black women and trans Black women, right? So if, right. it was a different experience to me at this stage in my life.
0: Yeah. So here is my big takeaway. I have never, I had never read this book, so this was my first time reading a book that people talk about all of the time. I mean, it's like Roxanne Gay, comma, bad feminist. Like it's like that's what people know her as, right? And so I was thinking I was gonna pick up this book and it was gonna be sort of like Not the same as, but sort of like Sister Outsider in the sense that, like, what was in the book would stand the test of time. And I didn't realize how much this book was about pop culture references. So I didn't realize how much of this book was gonna feel dated just from the references, you know, like just from the things she was talking about. And I think, like, her writing has gotten better over the last nine years. I think that my own understanding of feminism. And like what you're talking to about being like a black woman and feminism has grown so much beyond what's in this book. And that's not to take away that I I actually think a lot of the reason why that's happened is because of this book and like because people have been able to have these conversations and have been having them for the last nine years through the lens of this book. But reading it now in 2023, I was like, this shit feels a little basic and it feels a little white. Like there's so much white media discussed in this book. And actually, you know, I'm of two minds of that. One mind is sort of like good for Roxanne Gay. She should be able to talk about all the media she wants to talk about whenever she wants to, regardless of her own personal identity. But on the flip side, when we get to the section that's like race, I was like, wait, so we're saving all of the black art for the race section or most of the black art? So, you know, I was sort of mixed about it. And like, I think this book ends up being sort of a period piece more than like something that withstands the test of time. All of that to say is not actually to shit on Roxane Gay at all. And it's sort of to thank her for helping move the conversation. If if that makes sense. I don't know if that resonates with you.
1: No, it apps. I 100% feel you. I, the reason why I've been thinking about this so much is because some of the things that I was like, hmm, about, I don't know if that's more about me or more about her, right? I remember right. like when, my, when I was my writing my book, right? ride or die a feminist manifesto for the well-being of black women you're never going to come to a single solitary page in my book and not understand that i'm black women are centered in my book and i'm doing this right. intentionally and i always because like with a few i don't know how you grew up right but in my schools, from elementary all the way up until i went to an hbcu i was not centered in that literature at all i'm right, not right. you know when i cut on a television i'm not centered in that right so i wanted black women to know for these as Tracy called my book, hella short, pages.
0: <laughs> my daughter was It like, is short. I it's so know. short. It's like not even 200 pages. It's very
1: short. I'm just laughing because my daughter thought that was like a trash review. So if you ever come to the East Coast, like it's on site with my daughter. She was like, oh my God. So you got beef with 13 year old. So oh my God, <laughs> I God, no. I know. I thought it was really funny. I said, like, baby, this is a really smart and balanced review. But anyway, that was a commercial break. <laughs> Let me pay the back. <laughs> so like within in my pages is I'm going to be very intentional to make sure that black women, i'm centering them and my feminism is very intersectional and i'm always looking to, to i'm trying i do my best to look from that to, through the most marginalized lens right so um i remember when i was writing my book my and i was very clear when i was on um, when um when i was going after my book deal i was like nope i need a black editor she has to be a black woman mm-hmm. like Black and black, not like Stacey Dash black, right? But like real black black, because <laughs> um, I was like, I don't want to explain pieces of myself to her as I'm writing. I'm just not doing this. I need her to get it. Blah blah blah, all this stuff. So my I did. My editor's a black woman, and there were things that I would write, and then she would be like, Clarify this. Clarify this. And I would saying, I am not writing a book with little notes in it for white women. I'm just not doing it. And right, then she was, and right. she would push back, and she was like, She, I'm a black woman. I don't even know what this means. She was like, There's right. going to be, and it's ironically, she was like, There's going to be black women who are not from New York or not from LA or maybe they're from middle America yeah. and they want to understand and connect that doesn't make them less black. They just means they don't un- you know, they had a different experience as a black woman than you. Right. But right. they still want to, I'm like, Oh, okay. So whenever I did clarify, I was writing when I, I was writing for the black woman in like middle America, that might not get it. Right. Yeah. So as I'm reading her book, I was like, okay, like how can I explain this? Like, Roxane Gay, like, is, we have vastly different backgrounds. Like, for example, in my mm-hmm. book, I talked about, you know, while most of my peers were, were um, devouring Sweet Valley High books with, like, Jessica and Elizabeth, I mean, yes, I was reading those, but I was also getting busy with Donald Goings' book, right? So I'm just, right. like, uh, very... And, in there, and Roxane Gay, when she's talking about her love, you know, how much she really loves, like, that Sweet Valley High books, like, a big fan, like, so our... So our backgrounds are very different in a lot of different ways. So, I had to. Um, so, when she did make a lot of references that I don't understand, I'm like, girl, I don't even watch these shows. I, I, I don't get it. It's hard for me to follow. I never not heard of some of this stuff. So, I remember yes. thinking, I was like, is she talking to white women? And am I supposed to get in where I fit in and wait to the end? Like Is she specifically talking to me? Because I like to know that she's specifically talking to me because that's mm. not the case in media. That's not the case in, in most literature. So I'm just like, you know, am I supposed to get in what I fit in, right? If she's specifically talking to me, is this book for, you know, like white women and maybe me as parenthetically or whatever, just by the way. But when I, when I said, I don't know if this was me or her, right? Why I was struggling with that because I think as much as I say black women, we're not a monolith. We're not a monolith. I have to remember that we're not a monolith. Like her writing and her shows and everything is different because that's her experience. That's who she is. But she still experiences the world, navigates the world as a black woman, you know, the same way I do. Right. So I was just like, okay. so these are the things that I'm I'm thankful for that because it helped me to like flush out how I was feeling about that. But I certainly because and, and again, My preference are still if you ask me about who is some of my favorite books, I love the reason why, you know, Joan Morgan was my, you know, still is like one of my favorites. Like, I need to know that you're not just talking to me as a black woman. You're talking to me as a black woman from the hood that grew up listening to this, like really specific. That's what I like. And that's just my preference.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting to think about audience with this book also because so many of these pieces were published In other outlets before they were put into this book. So she was writing for The Rumpus or she was writing for The Washington Post, a review of a movie. And that's a totally different audience than, you know, whoever she then intends to read Bad Feminist. And I think that that's really interesting too, because some of the essays felt even less connected to this idea of bad feminism or being a bad feminist than others. And I think like, You can feel that as you're reading them that like the audience for some of these is like generally people who have seen this movie, right? Or like generally people who have read this book and like nothing to do with feminism. I mean, we usually talk about the title at the end, but I sort of think it is a good place to start today just to kind of frame the rest of our conversation because – I think that the title itself, Bad Feminist, is a fantastic title, but I don't think that what's in this book matches the title. I would say like half of the essays, I could be like, yes, there's a direct connection to the title. And half of them, I'm just like, this could be in a book called I Watch 2010's Television or like a book called Roxanne Gay Tells You About Culture. Like it had nothing to do with feminism except for that she is a self-proclaimed bad feminist so i don't know what your thoughts were on like just the title
1: see this is so my thoughts on the title like i I had a greater appreciation for the concept of Self identifying as a bad feminist, right? Because I felt like that frees you of having to perform a version of perfection. And I felt mm-hmm. like that translates even into activism in general, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. Let's, let me just denounce this and tell you from the jump, I'm bad at this, right? And if yeah. bad means that I'm still fucking with the grays, as Joe Morgan puts it, right? There's still some nuance I'm still trying to figure out, or, you know, whatever. I understand that. But then when I got to the lean and done chat, that's like, is that how you say that? Things.
0: Lena Dunham, Dunham yeah. yeah from girls
1: right when I got to her chapter I that chapter made me feel like I'm just doing feminism wrong period because so there's mm. this chapter in there where she is she's talking about girls she's you know she watches the show and I'm not a fan of to me Lena Dunham is peak like feminist like I'm willfully yeah. ignorant I am like you and all the above, I'm incredibly privileged and willfully ignorant, and I feel, she's Anna, and and there's no distinction to me in my head, right? She is, <laughs> like, there's a line that this character says, I might be the voice of my generation, like, completely <laughs> right. tone deaf and goofy. To me, that's who yeah. Lena is. Like, she's, yeah. I can go on all day about my utter dislike yeah. for her, and, like, the, I
0: don't like her either. Right,
1: she, absolutely, she's so, all the things, right? <laughs> completely, completely, utterly, ridiculously average tone deaf whatever all of the things right everything wrong with white feminism that's what i associate with her so there's this this chapter where she's kind what she is the fact she's talking about the pushback that lena gets for girls right and the pushback is about the nepotism and she's you know lena's talking about how you know she, her dad or her, her somebody in her family is in hollywood or whatever and help opened up doors for her and she didn't have to like Go and pitch and do all this hard work. From my understanding, she probably like wrote. A, and I think she, I heard probably heard Nina say some interview before that she wrote a few words like, hey, "Here's the show." Boom! It got greenlit yeah. for HBO. So she, of course, gets a lot of pushback for nepotism and how little she had to work for all of this stuff. And then Roxanne Gay is the, is in her and in the chapter she says. Um, You know, nepotism happens all the time in Hollywood. There's so many white men. That's just a byproduct of nepotism. Like, why is this show getting singled out? And while she is not wrong, I can't, I cannot imagine like using my platform, using my words to defend her that particular white woman like she is right privileged enough the whole world is going to come to her rescue she's absolutely fine if i was going to make that argument i would you know what i mean i just can't i can't and that's a, that's what i'm like maybe i'm doing feminism wrong because there are some women that you know i can't i'm not right. going to just go hard and just show up for her because she's fine the whole world is going right. to show up for her she's good right so i was right, just like right. so i'm like damn yeah, maybe i'm doing this shit wrong because i can't i ain't got to defend her
0: But I sort of felt like in that essay what she was also saying was like we shouldn't single out Lena Dunham for doing the same shit that everyone else is doing and that the whole industry is, which I sort of get because sometimes like I'll read a book and people will be like, This book is like, you know, it's a book about parenting and then people will be like, but it's only about white parenting. And I'm like, right. But if this white woman wrote a book about black parenting, you would be fucking mad about that. And I would be, too. Mm -hmm. And like there's part of me that's just like Lena Dunham. You're a privileged little white girl who's had everything handed on handed to you and you think you're so subversive, but you're not. You're basic as fuck. And you just stay in that lane because the second she tries to, like, depict black people or whatever, it's on site. Right. Like, it's just like, no, Lena, Mm -hmm. don't, don't. Put him Please in don't. the show. Like, stay away. <laughs> stay so, like, away. I do think that's a little bit of, like, what Roxanne Gay's saying is, like, people are demanding that Lena Dunham's version of Brooklyn look like X, Y, and Z. And, like why? Like, why should she be the one who has to do it when no one else is? Which, you know, I'm again, two of two minds because I hear you. It's like, why would you use your platform to be like, it's okay for white people to just do white shit. But I sort of feel that way. Like, it's how I feel about The Bachelor. I'm like, I hate when they have black leads on The Bachelor because I don't want to deal with race on The Bachelor. I want to deal with peak white mess. I want to deal with sloppy drunk People saying stupid <laughs> shit and telling someone they've known for a week that they're in love. I don't wanna yeah. deal with blackface. I don't wanna deal with allegations of having gone to this and that party. Like, so for me, it's like, I would never defend Lena Dunham personally, but I also am not really asking Lena Dunham for more. I'm sort of just asking that Lena Dunham doesn't have to exist in Hollywood anymore, which is kind of now where we are and it's like a much better place for me. But to your original point, it does make me question: like, am I a feminist? Am, am I, I a, feminist? a bad one? Am I a good one? Because it's not even just I, her, right? And I, and
1: multiple things can be true at the same time. Like her, Roxanne Gay's point is correct, right? And on right. the same token, like I, I wrote something before when. Um, I'm giving you the consolidated version. We all know what you know—the case with Meg, the stallion, and getting shot, and then yeah. Drake made a joke about it in his album when his song. And I was furious, and I was saying that yeah. if he's only doing and this is a, this is quote unquote allowed and it's okay, he can still have a career because she's a black woman because had. God forbid Taylor Swift been the victim of gun violence and Drake put right. her name in a song and made her the pun of a joke. I would give his career another 48 hours before he would be done. Right. Because the whole world would rise up to protect her the way that they do, you know, really privileged. Um, pretty white woman. So I would not say anything. Like, I'm going to, when he says something about Meg, I'm going to come out and swing it. I would not say anything about Taylor Swift because she don't need me. Um, trust me. Right. You know what I'm saying? She does <laughs> not need me to say anything. She's well-protected. She's completely fine. I don't. I, I that's just me. Like when you have this level of privilege as a uh, this white woman with this level of privilege, I don't have it in me to like stand up and, and just use whether it's my words, whether it's a tweet, whether it's anything because you don't mean you're fine. So what I was like, damn. So my um that I was feeling I, when I read that chapter, I, it wasn't even about her. I was like, damn, maybe I'm like bad for real. <laughs> right. I
0: mean. Because you're saying like because you won't defend like because your feminism is not necessarily like inclusive of of these white women kind of thing is that what you're is that what you're getting at
1: well I won't I don't like I don't feel this sense of let me protect you let me fight for you let me do all this for this incredibly see. privileged white woman because you don't need right. me. I'm going to take my limited energy resources right. and, you know, capacity right. and let me go super hard for, you know, these trans black women. Maybe, you know, I'm sure people can do both at all. Right. But what I'm saying right. is that's where I put all of
0: my energy because I'm like
1: the whole world about to show up for this girl. She good over
0: here. Right. Did you, did you feel that way in 2014?
1: And no, in 2014, I did not. Right. I was like, um, these are things that I had in common that. These are things that were consistent when I read it Th- now. And when I read it in 2014, I'm like, wow, she's incredibly smart. Wow. She's an yes. engaging writer. You know how I know she's an yes. engaging writer? Because I don't give a fuck about Scrabble when I'm reading this whole chapter. She, exactly. you know I, mean? like, <laughs> I hate Scrabble. Scrabble is right? my board game nemesis. Am. <laughs> right. And I'm reading about her Scrabble nemesis. Room for her. Right. So I was like, yeah. Damn, she's an incredibly engaging writer. Incredible. She's really yeah. smart. So those things were consistent. So that remained the same. The only thing was I kind of was like, I knew that I wasn't like, I was trying to reconcile how I felt about like, damn, like she's not talking specifically to who's her target audience. Just reconciling how I felt about that.
0: Right. Did you ever read uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book? We were eight years in power where he has like the eight essays um, for, during like through Obama's pregnancy, (laughs) presidency. And he, um, he republished them. They're all Atlantic pieces and he republishes them with like an an introduction essay to each one. I would love for her to do that with this collection because there were so many parts where she would say something and I would be like, I've literally seen you tweet the opposite of that in the last five years. So I know just like you and I, she has grown and changed in her feminism and her relationship. Like there's a part really early in the first, the first like, you know, the feel me essay, whatever. She talks about how when she was a professor there and she was like working with the black kids and then another black professor was there and she was like, oh, are you going to help the black kids? And she's like, no, I'm not paid for that. And Roxane Gay is like, I would do anything even if I wasn't being paid for it. But I know now that she's very much like, it's not my job. I'm not being paid for it. Like I've seen her talk about like work like so it's just interesting to know Oftentimes, I don't know an author in the same way that I follow Roxane Gay and like read her work and read her tweets to know her opinion. And so this was really like sort of jarring because I'm like, you don't think that anymore? You couldn't possibly believe that, <laughs> or like. <laughs> so I don't know. That definitely like came up. You and you know what? And this is why things like that
1: make me appreciate the title even more, right? Because when I read Bad Feminism, like I'm reading it as I'm still evolving and figuring this shit out, but I'm yes. here, right? So I would love a book like that too. Because of course we all still evolve and like figure this shit out. Um, you know what I would like? Like if we if I was to pick a ch- uh, chapter that I was like, oh, I hope she does it. And I hope it was with this chapter. I can't remember, like I said, because it was the audiobook, book. But it was about um sexual. It was one of the chapters that was about sexual violence, and she was calling out this particular reporter. I haven't the, the, had the stuff. The in casual,
0: notes. the casual viol- the casual yes. language of sexual violence. That yes. one about the yep. little girl who was raped. Yes, by like by eleven 18. grown
1: men. Yes, or yeah. eighteen. Yes, grown. Well, eighteen. Yeah. Yes, very grown men, and she was calling out the New York Times. Um, for the way they they were like they actually you know when i when according to her book was they framed it as oh my gosh how is this poor little town gonna survive this horrific event oh this poor little town as opposed to yeah. the and i think she this said girl. that they only yeah and i think she said they only used the word rape one time right so she was really like you know calling them she was letting have it for that and i love that she dropped names um like who the mm-hmm. reporter was and everything and i love that she did that and i love that she was i'm Hello, it's eleven-year-old fucking child and this is rape. And he's saying a poor ch- this poor town. I would have loved for that essay to talk about. The intersection, you know, I would love to be more intersectional, right? So, like, I don't know if that girl, the little girl she's talking about is white or black, and of course it doesn't matter, but what, I'll show for white kids, though, right? I'll, I'll go yeah, for white yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she still deserves <laughs> Roxanne Gay's protection, but I also would have loved to include how much more this happens when the little girls are black or brown. Like, really yeah. break this down, like how it's underreported. Talk about um the, uh, the adultification of black girls, right? That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for, right? So then, Again, it took me a really long time to get through this because I was wrestling with it. I was like, okay, I'm looking for her to be me. I'm looking for my voice and her words. That's how I would have read it. That's what I was looking for.
0: I see. Yeah. that. I mean, that was one of my favorite essays in the oh, whole that was, book, actually. That was my, thought, hands
1: down, my favorite.
0: Yeah. I mean, that one just really like, a lot of the ones about sexual violence stand the test of time unfortunately mm-hmm. and but what i thought was really interesting so you know she's so specific about language and and it's something she sort of talks about throughout the collection But one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this, and this is not me defending any of the rapists, but she refers to them all as men. And then we find out in the last section that some of them were boys. They were middle schoolers. And I thought that that was really interesting that she chose to refer to them as men when some of them were also children. Not that it makes it any better what they did, but it's different. A middle school boy is different than a 25-year-old. And there were 25-year-olds. And so like, what's that? piece oh, I didn't of it. Even beat that. I didn't yeah, she says, let me find it. She says it. So this is what she says. An 11 year old girl was raped by 18 men. The suspects ranged in age from middle schoolers to a 27 year old. Hmm. You know, like, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's wrong to say men because that elicits a specific thing, but I do think it's interesting in an essay all about the specificity of language and how we talk about these things to say by eighteen men, some of which were middle schoolers, because those are not men, and had and had it had they been black boys,
1: mm-hmm. and we
0: found out they were calling we them men, we would have roasted them. Exactly, because because think about, I mean, she gets to it later. Trayvon Martin, he was a, still a boy; he was a seventeen-year-old boy. So many people think he was a man, or Tamir Rice think he was a man. I think this behavior is reprehensible for boys or men or anyone but i do think calling a middle schooler a man is a it's a choice i don't think it was a mistake i guess is what i'm saying and i'm interested mm-hmm. in the choice that she made to do that
1: that is interesting like because maybe I don't, that was i almost wonder if she did it on purpose i don't know i didn't even i think she that. did yeah I she, she had must to have, have.
0: She's too smart. She's too smart. (laughs) And too thoughtful. And I think maybe she's trying to make a point, perhaps, about how the girl's individuality was like disregarded. But but even still, I don't I think it was a choice. And and I just think maybe the more interesting choice is to talk about what it means to be a boy versus a man in a situation like this and Mm -hmm. trying to behave like a man and to be led there was at least one 27 year old man there and that mm-hmm. also says something what the fuck mm-hmm. is a 27 year old man doing with, with some middle kid. schoolers yeah. with an 11 year old girl and some other middle school boys like that is what i want to know about oh
1: that's a good point I, I i just pulled up my notes right so um because i was I wrote some notes specifically about like the Lena Dunn chapter and I was, mm-hmm. and I wrote that um she's fair in a way, Roxanne Gay is fair in a way that I don't think I can be. For example, mm. her, her, for example, her defense of the show girls against criticism about nepotism isn't something I don't think I can, can do even though Gay is correct. Even though Roxanne is correct, which is a personal reminder that feminism is bigger than my personal feelings about any specific woman, which is something I need to sit with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait, let's take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss more of the essays. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. There were two essays for me that we don't have to spend a lot of time, but there were two essays for me that I absolutely hated, just could not possibly get my brain into. I actually had to switch over to the audiobook for one because I kept just being like, I can't keep reading this. It was the garish, garish, glorious spectacle, the one about green, the green girl. Do you remember oh! that one? Oh! I just hated it. I don't even have anything smart to say. I just was like, I'm bored. I have no idea what a green girl is. I have no idea what the point of this essay was. I hated it. And then the other one I hated came later. And I think I hated it because it felt so dated. But it was towards the end. It was the politics of respectability one. Mm -hmm. And just those two for me, I like. Everything else, I could pull something at least interesting to think about or reflect on, even if it was just like a reflection on the changing of the time. But those two, I was just like, No, thank you. And in a collection with that many essays, I sort of feel like that's impressive to only have two that were really just like terrible because I'm, I hate everything. So, (laughs) um, I don't know if you had any like least favorites.
1: What green girl, because it was that essay where I said, I don't know if I'm the target audience. I don't even know what the fuck she's talking about. What is this? Like I had no, I was completely lost, like completely. Like I was trying. And so I listened to it again. I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I said, I don't know. And I said, you know what? I guess if someone, imagine someone reading my book and they've like never heard any of these hip hop references and don't kind of get it. And like, so I can imagine, you know, there's some people that's probably feel that way reading my book too. But I'm just like, oh, I'm lost as fuck. I don't know what this lost. is. I think it, I let it play. I can't tell you anything about that chapter because I don't, I don't understand.
0: Well, so the crazy thing is, okay, I didn't know what a green girl was, but I have read the Joan Didion book that she was talking about. And I was literally like, I don't I don't even know what you're talking about. And I've read this book like that essay for me was just like a no thank you moment. However, the politics of respectability, I did not like that one. But two essays later, when she has the one that's like the alienable rights of women, it was like about abortion. That essay could have been written yesterday. It mm-hmm. felt, I mean, it's unfortunate because it's about abortion, but it was like such a reminder, you know, like last year when, when Roe was, you know, potentially going to be overturned and it was being heard by the Supreme court and all this stuff. And so many people, um, you know, this is very general, generalization, but so many people were like, how could this happen? Like, I can't believe Trump appointed a Supreme court justice. And now here we are. Right. And as I was reading this essay, I was like, That's such revisionist history because we've known Roe was a goner for at least as long as this essay exists. Like we've known, we've been seeing them chip away and like going back and revisiting this, revisiting this moment in time. I just thought I was like, wow, this essay was ahead of its time at the time, but also totally reflected what was going on and is a reminder to us now to like pay attention to these little things. Like I'm thinking about these moments with Ron DeSantis and all these Republicans and trans Mm -hmm. rights and trans Mm -hmm. and and drag queens and how it's like these little, you know, we're going to get rid of drag story time. And now it's like, we're going to ban drag people, people who do drag or transgender people in public. And like, it's these little chipping away moments that all of a sudden you look back and Rose gone, right? Like all of a sudden you look at some of the things that were said five or 10 years ago about trans people or drag queens. And now we're at a place where it's illegal to do it in public in places like that's not a little thing anymore. Now we're at a big, yes, fucked up thing.
1: Tracy, I remember like the only thing I disliked about that article is that it's so fucking evergreen. I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. is this art? is this article I would I, I'm not article essay. I would love for that essay to be to feel dated. You know what yes, me? I mean? I wish to goodness it was. <laughs> so I was just like, oh my gosh, yes. That it looks like I if that felt like she could have written that forty eight hours ago.
0: Exactly. There's one part in that essay where she talks about, like, should doctors collectively be pushing back? And the one thing that I thought about that point, which felt so naive in the in the context of the rest of the essay, is like the problem is a lot of doctors don't want Roe, like a lot of doctors. And we see that now. Obviously, COVID has changed, I think, the way that a lot of people think about doctors. I think there used to be a respect for the profession. Mm-hmm. That was like, doctors believe in science and they don't believe in politics. And I think we're seeing now that people are realizing that doctors do believe in politics. Um, mm-hmm. My husband is an OBGYN. And so a lot of my girlfriends will come to him about pregnancy related things or whatever. And I remember maybe like eight years ago, a friend of ours who was pregnant in Georgia, her doctor was giving her like wild advice that was so political and so specific to the doctor's opinions, like about, about pregnancy, like screening tests to screen for, um, you know, whatever chromosome, chromosomal issues or things that might make a pregnancy not viable. And, and he didn't want to do that for her. And he said he wouldn't do it for her. And that, you know, she had to do like all of these things that now, of course, we're hearing about this with Roe, but I think people don't realize that just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you believe in the science or that you don't also have religious opinions or Mm -hmm. social opinions about gender or sexuality or, yeah, I think it's like, you know, I I love doctors. I respect doctors. But I don't love and respect all doctors. And I recognize that some doctors are violent. They are abusive. They are controlling. And they can do terrible things for people. And And I just think, like, it was so interesting to see Roxanne K be like, doctors need to band together and, like, say no. And I'm like, oh, some have and some do. But some are saying yes. And they're banding together to do that.
1: You see, I've always... Oh, gosh. Even before we had the language to describe medical racism, talk to Mm -hmm. black women. We can always, even when we didn't have... The, the qualitative data, right? I mean, the, um, the quantitative data. We have the stories, we have the qualitative data. We can explain what our experiences have been like in the medical field. I told this doctor this was hurting me, right? And then he didn't respond. Uh, my doctor's not listening to me when I said this. The data is there. The stories are there. We understand that we are getting hysterectomies at a much higher rate, right? We understand medical racism. We understand the field of gyne- gynecology, how that was started, right? Yeah. Like yeah. practicing on the bodies of enslaved women without their permission or even anesthesia. So when I see phrases like "doctors need to band together," I don't see this as this. I don't see them as this moral compass that's going to. You know what I mean? I don't see them as right. these type of advocates that's going to do this. I operate with a level of distrust for for doctors. So lines like that or even thoughts like that are just never going to come to me.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Okay, I want to talk about the race and entertainment section because. I have seen almost every single movie in that section. I just haven't seen The Help. But, and I hadn't seen all the Tyler Perry movies. But of, aside from that, I'm very familiar with every reference. And I would love to ask you about this.
1: Okay, so I'm going to go. Like, I have notes you about, ahead. like, Chapter 35, The Racism We All Carry. And it was this um, line, I think, it was, it was an audiobook. So, right, like, she didn't say that she was quoting somebody. That like, most people are a little bit racist. I need for us to have like really hard pushbacks when people conflate racism and like prejudice. These are very Mm. different things, right? Many, a lot of us wrestle with some form of prejudice that we need to unpack and we need to constantly make sure that we're not operating from that place. But racism is a very distinct thing. It is about, you know, racism is about having systemic power to oppress other groups. And we don't all have that. Right. So I need there to be hard pushbacks. So I think in that particular chapter, it was about Paula Dean and like this quote unquote casual racism. And like we all have a little racism, like baby, but you know, we need to, I need always for us to have, even if at the risk of sounding redundant, clear pushbacks on that. We can't complete racism and prejudice because that's a very dangerous thing. So I'm definitely I remember reading listening to that and wanting to see a much, much, much stronger pushback on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait, so that's in the, that's in you, since you did the audiobook, it's harder for you to know, but that's in the politics, gender and race section. So let's do that. And then we'll go back to the entertainment one. I agree. I think, you know, it's what's hard for me. And like, I wish I had more insight. I wish that with each essay, it was written afterwards, when and where it was published, if it was published, or if it was written for this collection. Because I think about like what you're talking about, about, you know, we're not all racist. Like there's a connection to power and that is, like you have to have that piece to have racism. And I think about how that language feels so much in the culture right now. And I would love to know where this essay was published and who the audience was for this essay, right? Like, because it seems, not that she shouldn't, push back against that I think you're a thousand percent correct but I, this one really felt like hey white people like a lot of the race ones feel like she's writing to white people whereas a lot of the earlier ones um, like a lot of the the first big section the gender and sexuality section some of those feel like really small niche things that she's into whereas the politics gender and race section felt like these are things that I was asked to write about Mm -hmm. And I feel like she saw she softens in her essays, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like she makes herself more palatable in some ways that she does not do that now. Like when she writes things now, yes. it feels like her scathing opinion about something is there. But 10 years ago, she's up and coming. She hasn't written Hunger yet. She This book is sort of what propels her to stardom. So I feel like some of these essays are like, I want to get asked back.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, <laughs> like yeah. I want people to click on this, which I hate. And again, is why I wish she would rewrite this book with essays from now talking about the experience of writing the essay in 2015 or 2012 or whatever.
1: Can you ask, like, because like even her, like exactly what you said, like exactly what you said, not even just her writing, but even her tweets, like, she comes out swinging when she's talking about sexual violence. And I, and after reading Hunger, maybe this is more context or whatever. But, um, when she's talking about sexual violence, baby, she holds no bar, she comes out swinging, None. she's aiming for your neck. She does not care if, it, care if it's palpable, she does, you know, she's coming out swinging, and that's it. She's dropping names, like she's saying, this writer mckinley in the new york times the paper of record she's holding no bars she's calling people on their shit and that's how hard i want her to i want her to come when she's talking about race i I want it to come just as that fucking hard so when it doesn't feel like that for me it makes me wonder like well who are you talking to like you know what i mean because that's how that's how i want her to but then again i'm just like but one of the reasons why I struggle with it, because I'm just like, I can't, like, I'm not, that's how I would write it. You know, Roxanne Gay is Roxane Gay. Dope-ass, phenomenal Roxanne Gay, you know? And I'm still dope-ass, me in my own name. But we have very distinct voices. So, but I'm, that's the thing. I, I like when you're talking about race, hit hard. Shoot from a hip empty the fucking clip. Don't leave nothing there. Like, go super hard. And that's what she does yeah. with sexual violence. I just want her to do this. I wish that I felt the same, like, about the pieces about race in the book.
0: And I feel like now the conversation, the cultural conversation around race has gotten to a point where many more black folks feel comfortable having that energy in a way that I mean, you know, I was in 2014, 10 years ago, I was 26. So I was still young, like I wasn't doing any of this stuff. But I certainly didn't feel comfortable talking about race in the way that I do now just being like, you know, This is wrong. Like, eh, incorrect. You're an idiot. And I feel like sexual violence, though, sort Mm -hmm. of always feels like a thing. Maybe not always, but sort of feels like an easier thing to be like, this is bad. Where 10 years ago. We just I mean, I mean, in 2020, white people discovered racism. So we're working Hello. off three years of being able to yes. have these conversations, True. whereas like so like not again, I agree with you. I wish that she came out with her full Roxanne gayness and all of this. But I also am like thinking of the time and thinking of like if this is going to be published somewhere, like some editor is going to say, like, I just want to mm-hmm. know I want to know the backstory to some of these because they just they don't feel fully Roxanne Gay. But also, again, I think she's probably grown into her thinking in addition to all of us growing into our thinking and just being like, you know what, we're not going to tiptoe around race anymore. We're just going to fucking say it to your face. And if you don't like it, fine. But also another part to add on to that is the amount of Internet harassment she gets. Yes. I wonder how much she makes herself like, sh- what she chooses to take on in her mm-hmm. full sense because she knows incoming hate, 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 hate.
1: Like, two two things about that. Because also, keeping in mind, like, she wrote, this is a much older collection. So I'm reading this, when I was listening to this now, I'm listening to it with the... I'm kind of, like, through the lens of the, the, the Roxane Gay that I've gotten to know. I don't know her person. I'm talking about through her work, right. right? So I'm talking about the Roxane Gay who... I remember, like, she pulled her foot fu- I thought this was the most badass shit. She pulled her book from uh, Simon and Schuster when they signed that racist ass guy, whatever, what, I can't remember his name. So they signed this racist bullshit guy, this trash ass guy, and she pulled her book from them. And he, and, and then I was like, yo, know, that's badass as fuck. And then another time when it was like, um, a New York Times, huge, massive-ass literary event, and she was going to be there on stage speaking, and it was also going to have Steve Bannon on it. She refused to go. So I've seen her, you know, come out swinging heavy
0: hard, right? And she pulled her podcast from Spotify yes, over Joe Rogan. And the the racist guy you're talking about is Milo Giannopoulos or whatever, that guy? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking, you know what I mean? So that's the Roxanne Gay that I have seen in these past few years. So when I revisit this work, it feels like such a disconnect. But people swing differently. You know what I mean? Like she might not be the one to go super hard on the keyboard, but she'll be the one to like, no, I'm going to pull my fucking word. No, you can't use my name on the stage with with Stevie Bannon. So I was definitely like wrestling. I was thinking about that a lot.
0: And I think some of that comes after her success with hunger too. Mm -hmm. She's also a privileged place to do that. Yeah. She's in that. Yeah, exactly. In that space of privilege where she's able to be like, my books will sell. I've proved, I've proven it to you. I mean, I think, um, When they did that whole publishing paid me thing, she was one of the people who talked about she couldn't give facts or figures, but she did weigh in a little bit about what happened with her because I think she was like in a negotiation at that time or something. There was a Mm -hmm. reason why she couldn't give the numbers for whatever reason, but she was talking about it. And like, again, I, I agree. I don't I don't think she's scared to do those things now. I just wonder about in 2014 what she hadn't arrived in the same way. Like this is the book that put her sort of on the map and then Mm -hmm. Hunger is the book that made her the star. And so I wonder like in the period before this book comes out, how she's writing. You know, the other one I want to talk about, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the two profiles one about the Boston bombing kid and the Trayvon Martin murder and how she talks about like the two different profiles about them, like how Rolling Stone had sort of, made Jokar Sarnayev into like this sort of sex symbol hero, you know, bad boy kind of See, vibe.
1: The the one the pieces about race and and this I don't know how to say this without saying saying this, like is shade. I didn't read, I stopped reading some of the or listening to some (laughs) of the pieces about race only because I was trying to figure out why I was feeling so strongly about it, right? I was trying to reconcile Mm -hmm. my I'm going to spin the block and I'm going to listen to it again but because it felt like such a disconnect for me and I was, it it felt so different for me and I was trying to figure that piece out because like I said this is the Roxanne day that I've, you know seen her publicly like oh hell no, I'm going to pull my book, I'm going to do this so when she wasn't coming, you know with that fire, I was like Oh god! And I pull away when I feel like it's a book about race, and you're not talking to me. Like you know, Mm I hate that. I hate that. Right? I don't want to. Do you
0: feel like this is
1: a book about race? No, 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 no. I was saying that in general, when you're writing a piece and it's something about race, and I I feel like you're not talking to me, I pull back. So I was like, I need to. So I had to like skip those chapters and figure and kind of like reconcile like my own feelings about it. And this conversation helped because you said something really important. She's also incredibly high profile, right? Even then, even back then, right? So it's, and talking about the visceral and the the, the fucking ridiculous ass attacks you get from just like racist ass pieces of shit or whatever. So that's a very big difference for me if I say something, right, in my book of all I tweet something versus if she can say the same exact thing. She's going to be attacked mercifully just because more people are going to read it. She's far more right. visible. So I some of those things I, I had to step away from because remember I told you before in the last podcast, it takes me a long time to <laughs> to get through it because these are the things that I'm sitting with and thinking about.
0: Yeah. I want to switch back to the race and entertainment ones because this was my favorite section of the book because I had the most thoughts about it, I think. Um, Mostly because I've seen a lot of the things that she uh, talked about. And I want to talk about the 12 Years a Slave one specifically. Um, It's like beyond the struggle narrative. And I think, you know, reading this in 2023... And thinking about the ways that there was this call for Black joy and like happy Black stories and all of this stuff in the in the recent past, this essay feels ahead of its time in some ways. But also, I have fully come around on the Black joy thing, and I actually now hate that call because I think that it's a call to make white people comfortable with to get to choose what kind of black stories they want to read as opposed to us telling our stories, how we want to tell them. So to say that oh well we want we want to read black joy so we don't want to read about slavery or we want to read black joy so we don't want to read about abuse or we don't want to read about incarceration because that's not all black people are and like this whole you know so that was like what was coursing through my brain as I'm reading this essay in 2023 even though I can recognize that this call for going beyond the struggle narrative was totally fresh in 2014 but now I'm like I don't know. We did do slavery. Like Solomon Northrup was sold back into slavery for 12 years. And that story needs to be told. And I did not know that story when that movie came out. And I did not know a lot of that stuff. And so I, it was a, like, that was one that really gave me pause of like, how do I feel about this? And how do I contextualize this in 2024 in
1: 2014? See, I, I felt differently with that, with that, um chapter that essay because I felt like wow she's so far ahead of the curve. I actually read the article that you sent me um when she was being interviewed and this and I'm paraphrasing here and she's talking about um not be careful about you know how the audience and not even just the audience it's the white publishers it's the white industry how they want to consume and devour our trauma. Right, and yeah. when you're writing, and you have to go, and when you're just creating, right, and you have to go back to these places and. For you, like, what is that doing to your body and your mind? And you know, mm. for that to happen, and people crave this is this is sensation to consume our trauma. So I felt mm. like she was really ahead of the time. I think there's space and there's room for all of this in this conversation, right? Multiple things yeah. can be true at the same time. But I, but that was something I, I want to speak to myself, wasn't even thinking about in 2014. So like we right. reading this, I was like, I was like, yo, damn, she really was like this right here, way
0: ahead. Way
1: ahead of the time because there is something so profound to that. Like, a lot of it is, and I think for me, the whole um, Black joy, we want to see more joy, I think it was a pushback for this whole, it was almost like they wanted to, the way that it feels like Okay, as a black writer, because there was a time where I was doing like a whole lot of freelancing, right? So if mm-hmm. I was to write whether it, whether it's for the New York Times, the Huffington Post, or whatever, right? If I was, and especially like around the Me Too movement, so if I'm to, so I wrote this piece um, about you know a Me Too movement from an intersectional lens about how complicated it is for black women to say Me Too when their offender is also you know a black man, and then it gets even right. more complicated if he's like powerful right. or whatever, and like editor when those are my topic. White editors always want to push me. Can you share a personal story? Can you go there? And even if I do have it, I'm like, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I can't really go there. Try right? So there's this really strong push for us hmm. to just present the world with our trauma to consume, regardless mm-hmm. of how, what that does to the artist. So this whole mm-hmm. this whole Black Joy narrative, I've interpreted as a, a pushback to that. So I really read that from, like, the artist or just creative perspective. So that's actually, I was like, yeah, that was dope. She was out of the time.
0: Yeah, I I totally hear that from the artist and creative perspective. I think what I'm talking about is from the consumer perspective oh. of this of this thing of like the industry oh. being like, you know, like cuz I get all these pitch emails about books constantly from publicists, from the publishers and you know, the the marketing teams write the blurbs. It's not coming from the author and um you don't know this yet, but but listeners will know. Um, I had Joseph Earl Thomas on who wrote a book called Sync, which is uh, his memoir of his childhood in South Philly, maybe North Philly. I can't remember. Just say his childhood in Philly. Um, and it's a really brutal story. And he suffered a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse. And when the marketing copy came, it was like, see how this black boy like become, like, escapes abuse through geek culture, like, and embrace it, you know? And it's like, no, 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 this is not that. Like, that's in the book a little bit, but, like, this is the story of a boy who Mm. was, like, left behind and abused and ignored, and, like, that is our story, too. And to try to diminish... That part to like mm-hmm. make it about joy. Like, it's not always about joy. Like, mm-hmm. how are you gonna spend 12 years a slave into joy, you know? Mm-hmm. So I agree. Roxane Gate is a thousand percent ahead of her time on this essay. I agree that when editors and film in, like film industry are trying to push for us to only tell these devastating stories, that that is a thousand percent wrong. I agree that we need more stories of black people, just everyday shit. Like the movie The Last Black Man in San Francisco, one of mm-hmm. my favorite movies, because it's just like black shit, right? Like it's just like two black dudes just like going through shit. And there is trauma in that movie, but there's also so much joy and so much fun. But I don't like the way that that call for black joy is now being turned into a way for white people and other people who are not black to be like, oh, I I read black books, but only books about black joy. Mm -hmm. Like that I only want to consume black romance. It's like you don't get to do that to our stories because you only get the joy if you also take the trauma. And that's Mm -hmm. true for all people, right? Like that, and I think Black people are re- so great at, like, finding the humor in things and, like, m- melding those two things perfectly. But my response is more about the 2023 version. And But my awe for this essay for sure comes from her being ahead of her time. But she also was like, it won Best Picture. And I'm like, yeah, it was definitely the best movie that year. I, I can't. I'm sorry that it was the best movie of the year.
1: (laughs) You know what small thing I just, a small thing that I appreciated more about this book after writing mine or just after reading some more, there is, there is this huge, especially in 2023 and 2022 and 2021, right? They just, it's almost felt like publishing only wanted to hear about race if you're not tiny yeah. coax, we're not trying to hear you, right? Um, right. So there was this only this huge push for that. I, I appreciate the chapter that was like mostly about Scrabble. I said, this is dope. She just gets to write about fucking Scrabble. Like that is yeah. where like, I'm, and so in the context of this conversation about Black joy, like I want a world where all is, there's, there's no either or, but just all of it can, you know what I mean? And I know what you're yeah. talking about from the consumer perspective, but that was one of the things that I just was reading that and oddly enough, thinking about the Scrabble chapter. <laughs>
0: Well, I, that's, so that's another thing that I do love about this book is that she isn't being forced to write only about qu- air quote black things, yeah. right? Like that she's given the space to talk about the, the art and the culture that is interesting to her, whether mm-hmm. or not it's interesting to you or I, it's not relevant necessarily because so often, I mean, like, again, just speaking of my world, I have to go out of my way to ask for a book by a white author if I want to read it. You know, like oftentimes I'm pitched black authors and I read tons of black authors, but sometimes I want to read a white book. Like they never be sending me Taylor Jenkins reads books. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so it's like there is a defiance and a sort of fuck you. I can write about anything just like you would let oh, oh, white boy, write about black shit. Like I can write about your little white girl shit. I can write about girls. Like I don't have to write about Tyler Perry, but I am choosing to write about this because it's interesting to me. And it's not just because I'm black. And I think that that her standing in that is one of the most powerful things in this collection. And that still stands the test of time because we're so often told we can only do black things. Yes.
1: See you. You know it's funny. Now I feel this is what I now I feel hypocritical, right? Because every there's so many chapters where I'm just like, I want to hear more about this from like you know a black woman's lens. Because I'm thinking about the um the chapter about hunger, like what we hunger for.
0: Oh, love uh, that one!
1: Oh, absolutely, it's wonderful. So there's this line, and she says, "Just because you survive something doesn't mean you are strong, right?" So Yes. I mean, black- as a black woman, that is a powerful statement, right? I really wanted and was, you know, I wanted her to go sue. So, I wanted to go really, really, really hard av- around that, like especially to black women, because you know, what I mean, I, for all of the obvious reasons, right? So I was like, right. damn. So yeah, so to your point, but I don't know. So that's what I was wanted. So this was my notes, like around that, because I was just like listening and jotting stuff down. Just because you survive something doesn't mean you're strong. As a black woman, that's a powerful statement. You think you're alone until you find books about girls that look like you. This is something she also said in this chapter. But for me, this is why it's so important for us to show up as who we truly are. It's so important for us to always, for me, to always center the most marginalized among us, right? So I wanted that chapter to talk more specifically about the cultural aspect of that. Because especially mm-hmm. because we exist in a world where my whole book is, you know, is about contending against this whole ride of Irish drawn black women true. So I wanted to I wanted to see more of that. I thought she was gonna go harder than that.
0: Yeah. So it's so interesting. I i totally hear you and I agree. I love that one. I love Hunger Games. <laughs> I'm a big katniss fan. That was very much my shit. And so I really just love that essay. I never essay. saw that before in my
1: life. I was like, this, is, I was like this, I, this whole collection is losing me. I don't know these pop culture.
0: You ha- okay, I have to say this. You have to read Hunger Games with your daughter. It is so good. It okay. is like, I I do not fuck around with fantasy, sci-fi, really at all. I do not really fuck with YA that much at all. I devoured those books I my best friend bought me a Hunger Games pin that I still have. I went to the movie theater on open like I just found it. I I'm with her a thousand Katniss for president. Um, I'm gonna read.
1: How many books are? Is it like a trilogy? It's three
0: books. It's three books, but there's a there's a new like prequel that I haven't read which I probably won't read, but there is a new prequel that came out like a year or two ago. And then there's four movies. They turn the third book into two movies. You know how they sometimes do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved it. I love it. Um, we're, so, oh, we're basically out of time. Oh my gosh. Um, we talked about the title already. We didn't really talk about the cover. Do you have any thoughts about this cover? It's just the text. And then it says bad feminist in pink. It says Roxanne Gay in black. And it has some pink lines. And it's pretty basic.
1: It, it is but I thought it was because I remember the end of it she's wrapping it up and she's talking about she, she circles back to bad feminists and she does talk about that she was like you know she's I love pink. That's one of my favorite yeah. colors. I used to say black because I thought that was the edgiest thing to do. So I feel like the whole pink and black was really intentional, like really owning her shit, like driving yeah. home that point of it. Like, look, I'm a fucking bad feminist and fucking with the grays and talking about like all these nuances and pushing back on these really basic, mediocre concepts of what the world defines as feminism. So I love, I actually like that. I was like, oh, this is cute.
0: Yeah. I love the Easter egg. And I think that it also like the writing, the font and everything makes it look like it's like, you know, from the newspaper or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's fine. It doesn't, it's not like a super catchy cover, but it's does not offend me in any way, which is also rare. Like I like it. I think it's fine. I think it holds up. I think it's actually sort of intriguing. And I think like, just to kind of end on this conversation about the title, just because that's kind of where we've ended up again. I think this idea of a bad feminist is something that I love. Um, I relate to it. I have talked about being a bad mom. How I just mm-hmm. tell people I'm a bad mom up front. So then when I do something bad, you don't have to mm-hmm. hate me. Um, though I have received pushback from parenting people who have told me to say I'm a good enough mom. But you know what? Oh. Same difference. Good enough, bad. I'm not a great mom and I'm not a great feminist and I'm not a great black person. And mm-hmm. I'm just doing the best that I can. And I relate to that because I think disarming people and saying all of that and I think like you know this book is also really obsessed with like the idea of likability and Mm -hmm. and you know I'm not likable I don't care about (laughs) likable characters I don't like likable people like so all of that stuff really like resonated for me and I think that the title you know you know what you're getting you know what a bad feminist is even before she defines it so Mm -hmm. I, I like I liked all of that. I
1: loved all of that. And actually, uh, I pulled a quote from the article that you sent me and I'm like, yep, this is it right here. If good feminism, is the article
0: from The Guardian for people. I'll link to it in the show notes. But yes, go ahead.
1: If good feminism is the feminism that overlooks the intersections of identity that, that we all inhabit, then I'd rather be a bad feminist. So I'm like, yep, that's it, girl.
0: That's it. That's it. I think we should end there. Shanita, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. This was fun. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you did this with me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Shanita Hubbard for being our guest. It is now time for the announcement of our April Book Club pick. In honor of National Poetry Month, we will be reading Ross Gay's 2015 collection, Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. It's an ode to love, loss, gardens, and all that nourishes us. Listen to next week's episode to find out who our guest will be for our April 26th discussion. If you love the show and want insight access to it, head to patreon.com slash stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenias with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tekirgis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.